Inside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, I, I start the podcast with a, with a suggestion, if I may. A suggestion that just dropped into our mailbox. It's from Brian, who is a regular listener. My query is today, since both of you have been out and about amongst others, for instance, at a wedding or playing in soccer matches, Gaelic football, actually, Brian, do you think it's time where one of you goes to the other's place of residence and records the pod together? What are your feelings on this topic? I'm sure you would both like to see each other and do this amazing pod together in the same room. It is the number one thing in life that I want right now. I would do it. I would absolutely do it. Yeah, I, the question I think is, we may. The question is, are you comfortable doing it? Because, you know, my wife is a teacher, so she's like school. She's back in school. She has no choice. So I'm the, I would be the pariah here. You would be fearful of me. Oh, oh, Andrew, COVID or not, I don't like your wife anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> my wife, I thought this was about me. I'd like, oh my God, you made it even, I, I can handle shots at me, but how dare you? No, Amanda's lovely. Yeah, maybe it's something we need to do. Oh man, how would we do it? What what do you mean? We we uh, we'd plug our mics into the into a laptop. Um, we'd control the sound from the laptop, and we'd do it from your from your house, or my apartment. Even we could do it on no, the no roof. no. We would have to go out. We'd have to be outside. You're not setting foot in here. We do it on the trusted. Ro- we do it on the roof of my apartment. Then clean, fresh Brooklyn air. Well, I don't understand. Why can't you come here? What What is this that I, I gotta go, go to there? Brooklyn? I've been to your house way more times. Zero. Than being to my apartment. Fact. You've never been to this house. Not to that one. To the to your other one. You were at the other one twice. I've been to the apartment in Brooklyn three times. Once I was the, there. I was there so early it should count double. This is that is true. This is the kind of petty arguing that people come to us for. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's. Um, this is a fun podcast. We look forward to this one every year. After. Three weeks of the Premier League, we always do our Jump to Conclusions podcast where we make um, essentially grand proclamations off of very, very small sample sizes. And then we decide whether or not we're going to jump to those conclusions. The the only asterisk with it this time around is that for whatever reason, Manchester City and Manchester United have only played two matches. Mm. But I think in the spirit of jumping to conclusions, that only makes it better. Yeah. And I, I want to warn people who are not familiar with this format that we've used every year for the past how many years. Don't get upset. The whole point is to jump to conclusions. The whole point is to make statements that maybe down the line we're going to regret. It's it's a bit of fun. Right. I actually prefer that you do get upset. And I want you to send us all of your angry tweets and emails. Uh, we also have another... The mailbags have just been... They've been beautiful lately. And I was so glad that we got one uh, which we'll get to a little bit later on, but it, it basically asks us to finish our thought that we left people hanging on about uh, all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, um, we never we gave our review of one episode, and we like forgot to give another review. So, so let's, uh, let somebody asked us to finish it. Yeah, we're going to concisely put that together and give you our final thought on um, all or nothing. Yeah. Also, it was a it was a really interesting weekend in MLS. We'll talk about that. Um, with uh, Gonzalo Higuain making his debut for Inter Miami, so there's a lot. There's a lot to get to. So let's let's not even delay any longer, JJ. Here we go. Once a year, we do it. It's time to jump to conclusions. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor, and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. 
Ah, Office Space. What a film. It's what a so great good. film. So we lay the mat down. The mat is now on the ground, and we will say our conclusions, and we decide whether or not to jump. Ready for the first one? Yes, I am, but the first one requires a jingle as well. Oh, my God. Dr- imaging on top of imaging. Oh, who are we lowering expectations for? So here we go, JJ. It's our first conclusion. Some were of the belief that Wolves would once again contend for top four. Maybe we need to lower our expectations. Are you jumping to that conclusion on Wolves? I, I think I am. And uh, I know you've got much more to say on Wolves than I do because I'm I'm jumping to a different conclusion in just a second about a different team because I have to I have to be different. I can't do things properly. But I think if you look at Wolves and and the very transfer policy of the club, which if you were, say, for example, Raul Jimenez right now, or Jimenez, right? Jimenez or Jimenez? Jimenez. Whatever you want. Okay. You know who you're yeah. talking about. Doherty, Doherty. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Matt Doherty's gone. Diego Jota's gone. This this team is all of a sudden minus two of its key components and they've had a slow start. Now, they had a slow start last season. I understand that. But right now, I'm jumping to the conclusion that you are uh, that you are posing to me. I'm going to jump too. We're in agreement. I'm going to jump too. We had said that Wolves looked maybe a little bit off against Manchester City, but uh, but I suppose you could forgive that because it's Manchester City. But JJ, 4-0 to West Ham. Uh, how do you explain that? Uh, so yeah, I'm jumping. I said in our season preview um, that I thought they might take a step back. Some of the teams around them, I feel like maybe have gotten a little bit better. And I don't believe that they have for a couple of the reasons that you just laid out. Players that have left. I know they brought in Nelson Semedo. Um, but you know, there's, there hasn't been a ton of replacing going on. Now there is still a little bit of time left for them to do business, but it was why I said before the season that, uh, Triora was my biggest X factor coming into the season, because I felt he was really the player that had the potential to lift the club. Um, but if he's kind of standing still with where he was last season or even regressing, which I'm not saying we've seen that yet, but then, you know, if, if those things do happen, then I just don't know that enough has changed around the club that will lift them. Uh, and like I said, other teams have gotten better. Here's what um, here's what Nuno said. Nuno Spirito Santo said about their defending after their most recent loss. He said, we defended very bad. We were not organized, winning duels. Uh, Antonio, Mikel Antonio, caused us numerous problems. Each time they went for an attack, it was a chance on goal. We were not playing fast enough, and defensively we made mistakes that they punished. JJ, that is a lot of stuff to be doing badly and getting punished on, considering that, again, the opponent was West Ham. And maybe West Ham is better than they were last season, uh, but we thought that Wolves, or some people thought that Wolves would be able to contend for top four. So it's an early warning sign that maybe they could still be good. I'm not saying they're going to be in any danger, but maybe this is going to be more of a mid-table season rather than a top four contending season. Yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, Andrew, um, I, 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 I think this might be a transitional season considering the way the club the club is run. They've brought in a lot of, how should we say, potential, but that's not necessarily going to be as as quick to come to fruition in a short period of time. So Wolves actually might be planning for the long term as we've seen the way they run the club. But right now they're they're going through that kind of stage where organization last season was their big thing. For for Nuno to talk like that is is kind of scary. Uh, just a quick one on my breaking ranks of lowered expectations. Um, did anyone, uh, or does anyone recall a few weeks ago when Steve Bruce had this mega window and everyone was saying, hey, the Geordies have low-key won the transfer window. And if they didn't win it, the sage thought was that adding 
Jeff Hendrick, Ryan Fraser, Callum Wilson, and Jamal Lewis was really good business. Now, it might be good business, but Steve Bruce is still the manager. And to put it mildly, the football, Andrew, has been bad, like very bad, despite them stealing a point at Tottenham, more of which anon. Um, Newcastle fans and pundits alike would just want to know, what is it that Steve Bruce is trying to do? This is from our friend, uh, Christian Hennage. Uh, He tweeted, this is why I don't buy into the it's only two games argument. They don't do fundamental things. They've looked awful again here. And that's talking about the game against Spurs, uh, responding to Grace Robertson, who who tweeted, uh, Newcastle do not press at all. Newcastle leave lots of space for Spurs to attack in behind. And that's Newcastle when they were parking the bus, when Bruce admitted they went a bit more defensively against Tottenham. Andrew, I think when you look at Miguel Almiron and the players they've added, even uh, Joe Linton, like, uh, they've got to be better. They've surely got to be better. And I don't think Steve Bruce is the man who's going to make them better. So um, signings or not, these expectations have been lowered at St. James's Park. My question, I guess, would be lowered from from where? Like from from the high water mark. Obviously, it, it's an up and down lowering. So it was lowered after they realized the Saudis weren't going to buy the club. It was raised a little bit when they saw good transfer business, and now it's been lowered again. Okay, so we're almost back to where we started, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And having just watched them this past weekend, it would be hard to disagree with what you're saying. All right, next conclusion. Uh, Leicester City and Everton are better than Manchester United and Chelsea. Andrew, I'm going to jump. Oh, my. I'm going to jump because jumping's fun. And I went to the Cambridge Dictionary for a definition of better. So better is of a higher standard or more suitable, pleasing or effective than other things or people. It's the comparative of good. And I think we can argue the merits of the squads in question here, player by player. And I don't think it'll answer much, but let's look at pleasing and effective. Take Everton with some excellent additions. Everton are playing a brand of football that is both pleasing and effective. Just for contrast, take the toil of Manchester United trying to break down Palace last weekend against the move of Rodriguez, Coleman and Calvert-Lewin for the first Everton goal at the weekend. Then take Leicester against Manchester City and the tactical nous of Brendan Rodgers. Yes, I'm giving B-Rodg mage credit here. Please always call him that. B-Rodg. They looked at City, decided that death by football won't work. They sat a bit deeper, looking for moves and opportunities and transition and in the channels. And it was very effective. Yes, it was pleasing too. Vardy's heel flick goal. Very much so. Um, that move was actually my favourite move of, of the league so far. Contrast that with Chelsea then and their attempt at catch him on the break versus Liverpool. Bottom line is, Andrew, Ancelotti and Rodgers have their sl- sides playing more effective football, more pleasing football, better football. So I'm jumping right now. Okay. By the way, are you that guy? The fact that you went to the dictionary to start that soliloquy, like, are you the guy at weddings who makes a speech and starts it with... Webster's defines love as... No, no, no. But what I was trying to do was like, it's such a blanket statement. They're they're better right now. It was like, how are they better? I think they're better that I can see a style of play in both sides with Leicester and Rodgers. I think they know what they're doing going into games. And I think uh, OGS doesn't and uh, old Frankie Lampard definitely doesn't yet. Everything you're saying is so fair. Um, And I desperately want to jump 
but my legs just can't quite do it yet. Those weak, milky calves. Mainly, mainly it's out of pure cowardice. I'm just afraid. Um, cause, cause honestly, I do believe, like, like I just said, everything you said is fair and true. Le- Lester and Everton are not flukes. I really believe that Everton, they are vastly improved from where they were a year ago. Lester appear to be much of what they were a year ago. And I mean that in a good way, not in a end of season collapse kind of way. I guess my concern, the only thing that is, that is really holding me back from taking the leap is what we saw with Lester specifically last season. We're three games in. Okay, it's fine for things to look good three games in when you're relatively healthy. Um, do these teams, Everton and Leicester, have the depth to withstand the course of the season? Because like I said, we saw when it hit Leicester last season, they did not. We don't know about Everton right now. Um, but I would say my that would be my biggest question about them, primarily because right now, having seen them play with Hamas Rodriguez in the midfield, he's he's still fantastic. I mean, he is a fantastic player, and he has changed this team. He, I mean, he really has. But here's the deal with him. He's their most important player. He started five league games last year, 13 the year before that, 19 before that, 13, 17. All right, for Everton to achieve what it is we're talking about here and what we think they might actually be capable of achieving – what is that number going to have to be? 30? 33? Yeah, right. I mean, it's going to have to be a number that he has not sniffed in years. Um, and that's a big leap for a guy to take who has a history of injuries entering a league that's known for its physicality. So, you know, I, 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 I want to jump, but that worries me. The only – I will give one caveat. That's Everton. One caveat with Leicester that does need to be said is that um, they are playing really well right now, and it would be unfair to say that they are doing that without – injuries because they they are dealing with injuries already Wilfred Ndidi Ricardo Pereira these are two of maybe their their three or four best players um so over an extended period of time though will that start to hurt them when when their schedule kicks in with maybe some more difficult opponents um it might so you know uh, it's the only thing because I I, quality wise their 11 versus Chelsea or Manchester United's 11 I really think that it's very close but when depth matters when you get into January and February we'll see no, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, number three, JJ. Manchester City are not winning the league. Uh, I'm going to jump. <laughs> I, I predicted Liverpool are going to win the league in our prediction, so maybe I don't need to speak too much on this. But you, you saw it at the weekend. Uh, the blueprint from, what, 28 days ago or how many? How, it's more than 28 days ago. Um, the Champions League in August. The blueprint that Leon followed was not that dissimilar from what Leicester tried to do. They've brought in uh, replacements at centre-back in terms of Ake, and they're going to have Ruben Diaz as well. But I don't think that's going to make the difference. The very nature, the very style of their play means they're open, Andrew, very open and open in the channels. And do we see Pep changing right now or being more pragmatic like Barrage did or even like how Jurgen Klinsmann, or Jurgen Klinsmann, good Lord, Jurgen Klopp, change things for Liverpool. Um, I don't see it happening. I'm not saying defense is a blind spot for him. Maybe it is. But more than that, there's also the fatigue. This is this is now late stage Guardiola. This is a lot of intensity. City have been brilliant underneath him, uh, under his reign. And, and I think uh, maybe we're getting to the fatigue stages. I think City are going to play scintillating football at times this season. I don't think there's a question, but I still see them coughing up goals. I still see them having blips in a way. I don't think 
Liverpool will have for an extended period of time. I really just want to simplify it by saying I don't think that much has changed from last season. I've even Man City fans are are getting in contact with us. Do you think one more defender is really going to make that much of a difference in the way that Pep plays? Is this thing suddenly going to be tighter? I don't think so. Uh, I will not jump simply because I treat this game with an air of responsibility. And I believe that it would be, after three games, irresponsible to already be counting Manchester City out. Uh, I'm not counting them out. I'm just saying I don't well, think You just said the they league. can't win the league. Oh, yeah. Okay. Look, words matter, okay? And these were the words that you used. But, you know, Sterling, De Bruyne, Mares, like, yes, defending – like every question is fair to be asked. Uh, I just can't do it yet simply because I just think too highly of some of the players on this team and, and the quality that they have. And even the manager, I know right now he's in a period of time where like his, his reputation is like, it feels like it's on the line here with how people are talking about him uh, in the wake of the five, two defeat. Um, but I did see this JJ, uh, Chris Waddle said this on BBC radio five live. Um, and he, he was talking about Manchester City when he said this. He said, it's the team with the biggest and fittest squad with the least amount of injuries that will win this league. Looking at the size of Manchester City squad, I cannot see them winning the league. I feel for the players of all squads with the number of games they have to play. They should have got rid of one cup and made internationals void for this season. Do you, do you agree with that sentiment that Manchester City, of all teams, and no. with all of their financial I, might, no, don't, don't have a big enough t- squad? No, I th- I think they're big. Yes, I do think they have a big enough squad to compete. I don't think it's that. I think it's going to be the system. It's going to be the structure. It's going to be Guardiola fatigue. It's going to be the fact that they've been playing this way relentlessly now since Guardiola's first season in 16-17. It's a long time to try and maintain and do what he does. And we're seeing a drop-off. I, I, I don't think it's to do with personnel. Maybe it is to do with personnel. Maybe you can only have Guardiola players for so long. Then you got to get rid and get fresh faces in who are receptive. But I don't see shuffling that defense is going to make a difference. They leave channels open and they play a high line. And if there's any kind of lack of intensity or being at it, they're going to get found out. And um, and and they were at the weekend. Although, albeit with like two tackles, two, you know... <laughs> It was three there's, penalties, right? Three, I yeah, saw Rodri. It's not often. So they lost 5-2. Yeah. And after the game, Rodri is saying that Leicester were lucky. I get what he means. I, I do get what he means. He's wrong. But <laughs> no, no, no. I know what, what he was saying is usually, what can can you take those penalty situations, Mendy's and uh, Eric Garcia's, and do better in them? Do you know what I mean? You don't have to give away penalties in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. There's, it's not like there was no choice. It was just sloppy, clumsy stuff. And in that sense, maybe we can push that into the realm of luck somewhat. But I, I, I actually think um, Guardiola's complaints were more interesting. Guardiola moaned about the way Leicester played, how they sat deep and were compact. And it's always tough against teams like this, as if this is an excuse. Like, what do you want? Do you want teams to go and play you at home and be open and expansive? You want Brendan Rodgers to play death by football like he used to so you can cut them open? Like, what do you expect? I know. Find a way. I always find that weird when opposing teams get angry about the way in which another team beat them. Well, if they had done it differently, they might have lost. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, All right. Next one here. We got two left, JJ. Um, This one's interesting. This was submitted by you, actually. Um, Here it is. Graham Potter 
is a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I'm going to jump to that one. Um, I'm not going to start slagging off and comparing Scandinavian clubs, Molde and Ostersunds, where both manager- managers cut their teeth. I'm just going to talk about what Potter has done at Brighton and what he's done recently at Brighton. And let's look at the season where anybody, the start to this season, anybody who's watched Brighton play would agree that Brighton could have three wins from three. They performed superbly well against Chelsea and Manchester United. I mean, this weekend just passed, they set a Premier League uh, record for hitting the woodwork five times in the same game. Um, Andy Naylor, though, brings it together nicely in the Athletic. He kind of illustrates the improvement of Brighton versus United from when they played in June, so just this summer, so during Project Restart to now. Um, Manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer named the same starting lineup for both visits. So that's this recent one and the one in June. United have won, uh, may have won again on Saturday, but the progress made by Potter's team in the three months between the clashes is illuminating. In the first meeting, Brighton had eight shots in total. In the second, they had 12 shots inside the United box alone, 18 overall. The possession increased from 38% to 53%, crosses in open play from 11 to 19 and I, I look at what Potter came in and did there, Andrew. He has turned in one full season and a few games in this season the way that Brighton played completely on its head and kept them up at the same time. Took over from Chris Hewton. He's brought in an expansive style of play. He's brought in a, a, a style of play that is unafraid to pass out from the back that is also flexible. He can switch between formations. And I look what he does with that small amount of players that he has. And albeit very good players. And he's got them in an attacking pattern, in a style of play that is very convincing that I can see. And I look at what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done since December 2018 and 2018 when he when he joined United, albeit there's an interregnum there before he got the, the, the job permanently in 2019. And I just think it's better. I just think it's much better with much less resources. And I ask myself the question, if I put Graham Potter in at Manchester United right now with the players he has, with the Pogbas, with the um, Bruno Fernandes, with, with Greenwood and Rashford and all these players, I, I, am I telling myself he couldn't do a job there? I, I can't say that. I think he's an excellent coach and I think he's better than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So I am also inclined to jump on this one. Uh, I agree with you. And some of what you're saying I echo in that, like, okay, so look at, United under Solskjaer and just ask yourself a couple questions. Have they underachieved? And I think maybe his first year or last year, it's debatable right now. It feels like they are with the play. I mean, you just read off the players that they have on the side. Um, and like, have they established any identity really under Solskjaer? And no. I don't, I really don't think that they have. And the other thing for me, I'm glad you mentioned Pogba. Um, Cause you know, Solskjaer is not the first manager to be confounded about how to use this guy. Jose Mourinho dealt with a similar issue, but like, so Pogba's come back into the side now and and like, look at these statistics for him over the weekend, 29% final third pass accuracy, zero created chances, zero interceptions, zero tackles. Now look, some of that is on the player. I mean, Pogba, like be better. You're a world-class player, be better. But some of that, like, Solskjaer's got to find a way to utilize this guy's talents. Right, he's too good a player to be accumulating those those kind of statistics. He has to. You just have to find ways to put this guy in more positions to make plays for you. And and right now, it's he's not. He can't do it. Also, Andrew, you know that that classic line from um, what's that? What's the the 
it's the cult classic film, The Big Lebowski. You know, the, you know, the rug, it really brings it all together. It brings the room together. Nobody's bringing, or Solskjaer's not bringing this team together. It's all disparate parts. There's no real link between the defense and the midfield and then feeding that attack. Look at those United players. They should be doing way better than they are. And they're toiling, trying to find ways to get around Crystal Palace. And then we watch, barely after 10 minutes, Everton find a way to open up Crystal Palace at Sellers, Sellers Park, as we spoke about before. Again, I know it's jump to conclusions. That's the whole point. But right now... I, there are better managers than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that could bring this thing together. I'm convinced of it. And I don't want to hear about Ed Woodward and the board. That's accepted. Take it as red. Let's look at the manager. Last one here. This is the big one. This oh. is why everybody downloaded today. This is why you're oh. all here. I'm going to JJ, disappoint massively. The, the, final, the final conclusion here to jump to or not jump to, the handball rule has ruined this sport. Now, before you even go, before you even go. You go. Maybe you go first. Okay, well, here, let, let me start with this. Here is, uh, I went to the BBC, and here's what they had written about the actual rule. Okay. Because I think we need to establish that first to be have a, a working definition. Maybe you can go back to Webster's and see what they have. Um, they write here, a foul will be awarded when the ball hits a player who has made themselves, quote unquote, unnaturally bigger with their arm. IFAB determined that a hand or arm above Shoulder height is rarely a quote-unquote natural position. There can be exceptions, such as when a player is falling. Leeway can also be given with ricocheted handballs when it comes off a nearby player if the player cannot see the ball. They've already got that wrong this season so, with so, Koch at Anfield, so doing well. So doing but, well. By the way, it's funny. When I was reading that, Like, maybe it's just a coincidence, but I felt like that rule was written as they were watching replays of the Lucas Mora handball against Sheffield United last year, when he was Falling pushed to the ground, was on the ground, had yeah. a ball kicked off of someone and then hit off his arm to Harry Kane for a goal. It feels like that they, they wrote the rule just to rule out one play from occurring in the future again. Um, so the way I'm not going to jump. I'm, I'm not, not either. Jump. You're not either. Okay. No. Now I will say this. Uh, if you had asked me this on Sunday, at about 11 a.m., oh my God, I would have, I would have parachuted. I would have all every kind of jump, triple jump, long jump, high jump, every everyone you could imagine. I was that angry. I was the that, sheer anger. Oh. <laughs> I was yeah. You could probably read off some. I don't actually know if you can read those text messages on this show. Um, no, I'm not going to jump. Um, I've settled down, and and here ultimately here's why. Um, it's not happening in every game. To say that a sport has been ruined. It's probably something that needs to happen with a little bit more frequency than this. Um, and the the main reason even besides that is kind of the, the handball rule has always been terrible. Like as long as we've been doing this podcast, JJ, like, I remember six years ago sitting in our seats in the studio and saying to each other that we have no idea what is or isn't a handball. So the rule, while horrible, it's a, it was at least an attempt – to try to fix what was already an ambiguous unknown rule. Now, yeah, they got it wrong and they'll try to fix it again. This is not going to stand like this is going to be changed again to something else that inherently probably will also be bad. A handball in the box. It's just, it's never going to be clear cut ever. And the rule attempts to try to make it so, um, but it fails. It fails miserably in doing that. Now, I, I guess the problems that I have, like, 
you're starting with this with the handball situations that we're seeing, and the reason that it, the situations be, become untenable, and like I say, they're going to have to change, is because you're starting to see teams earn points where they are not earned. And I feel like once you start to get that, it right. begins to almost call into question, okay, well, what is it that I'm watching here? Like, what is the actual integrity of, of spending 90 minutes watching a game and now watching teams do nothing to earn the points that they're getting? Because I feel right. like that is how people feel now at the ends of these games. It's also destroying our our industry where me and you are pouring over like handballs and replays and not actually talking about the football. It was a blessing for both managers at the weekend. Like, for example, Tottenham should have been 5-0 up at halftime. 5-0 yeah. up at halftime. And... Mourinho did his thing, went into their shell. If you look at their XG from the first half and the second half, he decided we're 1-0 we're, we're up, we're going to get the win. There's no chance Newcastle can score. And there wasn't because Newcastle didn't have a... Not even the they're, tiniest bit of invention. No. So the, what first ends shot up, on target was the penalty. One shot on target. So, so what ends up happening is we have Mourinho getting asked about this question and he's not getting quizzed on what his team were doing in the second half. And... We're also seeing this lovely blank comfort blanket being thrown over Steve Bruce, who comes out and uh, Steve Bruce, what a legend. Even though he got a point, he came out and talked against that the handball rule rather than asking what the hell he's doing with this Newcastle team who are so impotent. Yeah. So that's what's happened there. Uh, Andrew, I think, you know, getting rid of the idea of an accidental handball is just a bad, bad idea. Like, remember what happened in the the PSG game, um, the famous night when United went through. The ball was leathered Tended, by... Yeah. yeah, he's not even looking at his back. And, they get, and that was given a penalty. They have to get back to some idea where, you know, especially when you have... If you're going to introduce the tyranny of VAR into this game, where we're stopping and looking at everything, you should at least see that something is not intentional. There's nothing, as Klopp said, there's nothing Eric Dyer could have done about that. Nothing. He had no idea. And by the way, the idea of a natural position it's not natural to have your hands super glued to your sides. Of course. That's not, not natural. No. What are you talking about? None yeah. of this works. So get back and redo and rethink the rule. But I will yeah. say this. Fans and supporters are contributing to this problem massively and have contributed to what you said was a bad handball rule in the past. It's always we have bad. this. We have this echo chamber, Andrew, on social media, which is like the rage once upon a time, I could watch a game. My team could be hard done by, but I could get over it. Now, I can never get over it. First of all, I tweet out that I'm upset. Rather than talking to my friends about it, I tweet it out. The next thing, my notifications start racking up from opposition fans who said, but what about this? But what about this? I turn my phone off. The next morning, the notifications are there. And there's a notification from the Mirror. And the Mirror have this article. You won't believe how Roy Hodgson slams the the, uh, the handball rule. And so my rage is intensified. And it goes on and it goes on. And it, it's internalized. And I can never, ever get rid of the incident that happened in a game that I accept is refereed by humans. Um, well, I will say this about, because what you're talking about is VAR. And so I will say this in that VAR, I think it contributes to the rage over this because like you and I and normal people, when they go to VAR, we feel that it's giving the referee an opportunity to see how obviously accidental this is, how obviously unintentional this is. Right. And they're still coming back and awarding handballs. So I think 
in that way, VAR is contributing to the anger because you're thinking, okay, well, it's given the ref, it's given the referee a chance to see that this is clearly not. And when they're coming back and saying, yes, it is, it amplifies your anger that much more. So I understand it in that way. And that's why I think the rule will be changed. Also, um, before we get off this, because we've got too much to do to be continuing. Well, I have a couple more not- things. I have a couple more oh, things. God. I'm going to kill you. Oh, stop. All right. You just talk for 10 minutes. Get out of here. Here, here, Here's one thing. Um, We were, VAR and these changes by the IFAB were brought in because we were led to believe there was these unbelievable injustices happening at every moment in every game in our game and something had to be done. But the bottom line is this is not better than the way it was. It just isn't. And I think we need to go back the officials are going to do their absolute best to get things right. If you want to use VAR, it's got to be in a much more limited way. But as, as Klopp said as well, look at the offsides, how long these offsides calls are taking. The molecular, the, it's just none of this is worth it. It's not um, worth it. I, I saw Gary Neville on the idea of a natural position. Gary Neville said a couple of things that I thought were interesting. Again, you, ha- you almost have to defer to people who have played the game here, um, who understand you know, what is and isn't normal for a player to be doing. Neville said, I've been there as a defender. You have to have your arms out by your side. You have to be balanced. Your arms have to be extended away from your body. They have to be. It's absolutely impossible. And he's right. I mean, Eric Dyer's jumping. Who just jumps? <laughs> like, it's just, not, you can't jump like that. It's ridiculous. It's such um, nonsense. And, and, but the thing is that's, that makes this most frustrating to me is that I actually don't think, uh, or Neville, I think this is, Neville went on to say that he doesn't think they're even interpreting the rule correctly. He says, if you read it, I don't think that it's that stringent. They have to apply it that way. For me, this will change. There have been numerous occasions in the last 10 to to 15 years where little things have come in and they've always thrown it away quickly and this one will be thrown away. And I agree with him. Like I said, this will be changed. But I think he's right in, in, in that they're not interpreting their own rule correctly with this, like the stringent approach. Um, There is subjective terminology written into the rule unnaturally bigger is a subjective term. And like even their attempts to clarify the term unnaturally bigger are subjective, saying that having your arms above your shoulder is quote unquote, rarely a natural uh, position. That leaves room for interpretation too. They could choose to say that a player jumping up against another player as Eric Dyer was falls into the gray area. But they're for whatever reason, they're ruling that out. And everything now, it's like they're disregarding the attempts to make the rule ambiguous. So I can't it's tell gonna, you. it has to change and it's, I, it will, it will change. And I refuse to do this all season. I refuse to relitigate and go through all these decisions. All this podcast will come to a grinding halt. Well, we have I, to do it now. It, it was an, under such a spotlight over the weekend. I'm agreeing you, but we can't let this poison fester. Andrew, the other side to it, <laughs> the, the overly dramatic about it's killing football. Like the pandemic right now is actually going to kill EFL teams. Teams that have been there for 100 years are going to go out of business if this keeps going the way it is or if there's not a bailout from the Premier League or the government. That's going to happen. We can't get fans in the stands. This stuff is killing football, not not these rules. That's just no, you're over right. the top. And that's what you're right. I'm, and that's why I'm not drum- jumping either. But like like I said, though, you do have to lend credence to the fact that it's it is compromising the results of people of what people are seeing. I mean, I, it's not you good. Can. I don't. I don't like it. I really don't. I, and it was unnecessary. Yeah. Oh God. My. Ri- I'm telling you. If I. I want to. I want to start keeping a running list of the angriest moments that I feel when watching the sport. Because that. No, I got nothing them on my will, phone. 
I've got all <laughs> yeah, your you, angry you probably, moments on the phone. You have a catalog of, of rage texting. Wow. I mean, nothing can ever really surpass probably whatever I was feeling when the second Trinidad goal went in. I remember, but, yeah, not to go over this old chestnut again, but I don't, I remember you being more like kind of. Well, I didn't, I probably didn't speak for about 60 minutes. You went straight away and tried to check the other results. I think it was. Well, yeah, the other, I'm, the other live scores. Yeah. And then I saw the phantom goal and the rage found a new, a new level even. Oh, and God. then, and, and then the list was born. Those that have wronged us. Indeed that list uh so that was jump to conclusions week if you have any thoughts on on these conclusions how we got them wrong how the handball is in fact ruining or has ruined the sport uh send those send the handball ones solely to jj's twitter account because he wants to oh. parse through them um but the rest can all go to uh at co soccer pod or caught offside pod at gmail.com uh let's see should we take a quick break when we come back jj we've got a little bit of mls a little bit of luis suarez stuff and a, a beautiful mailbag i feel good about the mailbag again really you, been fun lately you've got to keep listening there's a lot more to come yeah don't go anywhere oh back now caught off side get to your mailbag in just a sec but first jj we have a little bit of uh weekend action to go over in mls gonzalo Iguain made his debut for inter miami i would you know, I wrote here initially, it did not go well. Um, I'm going to address that in a sec, but I guess first off, in the spirit of Jump to Conclusions Week, I would ask you this. MLS have obviously has seen foreign imports both thrive, like Robbie Keane, mm-hmm. and fail, like Steven Gerrard. Right, okay. Which do you envision Iguain being more likely to uh, fall into? I, I don't think it's going to be great. Um <laughs> Again, it's it's the usual things we say about this league. You need energy. You need a lot of movement. I don't see that. I also don't see a ton of creativity around him in that Inter-Miami side that's going to tee him up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not so sure this is going to be a success at all. In fact, I would say it's going to fall into the into the latter category of, uh, of Steven Gerrard, who, um, yeah, it didn't really work for. Yeah, um, I kind of agree with you. Although I do think it's it's at least a little bit unfair for his first game to have been labeled, um, un- it wasn't totally. He missed from twelve yards. He, he missed a penalty. He missed and from so twelve yards. He what missed do you a want penalty. To say about it? Well, I mean, come on, that's not fair. That'd be like me last week with uh, Tiago Alcantara saying, you know, he committed a penalty. So what else are we going to? I mean, Iguain, there were like ninety other minutes in which it would, he was not it terrible. Yeah, but his job is to come in and score goals for this team, and he and he misses it, so it's not a good start. But I'm say saying, that. but but in in his first game, you know, he he hit the outside of the post with an attempt. Um, I think he had five shots in the game, so it's not like he was a passenger. He was, you know, we talk about guys needing to acclimate here. It was in the pouring rain. His legs are probably what they were. I actually kind of thought it was an unfair putting him in an unfair position to even be the one attempting the penalty, because like I said, it's his first game. He's probably fatigued at that point. It was the 76th minute or so, and He's not a great penalty taker. He had missed, I think, his previous three consecutive before this one. Now he's missed four in a row. So, like, I don't know. I kind of was wondering, what's he even? What's he doing there, being the guy taking this penalty? Um, and then what ensued the, afterwards the, the, was, was interesting. The um, <laughs> like, because people are also getting on him for getting involved in like a mini brawl, but he's just missed a huge penalty that could have 
cut the deficit in half late in the game, give him Inter Miami a chance. And Jacob Glesnes just goes flying in and celebrates right in his face after Iguain has skied this penalty over the bar. You know what that reminded me of? Uh, it was, no. It was exactly the same jump as Glesnes, the same kind of, I'm not making contact, but I'm celebrating in your face as Martin Keown against Ruud Van Nistelrooy <laughs> when Van Nistelrooy missed that penalty to win it at Old Trafford. Remember that game? And they're all jumping afterwards and there was the big brawl. And then it went down. I think it was that. Was that the Pizzagate day? That might have been Pizzagate where Ashley Cole ended up throwing the pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson in the tunnel oh afterwards. My God. It was so much like that. It's like Glesnes <laughs> has been waiting his whole life to channel his inner Martin Keown. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. Part of me doesn't didn't blame Iguain for, like, getting involved in that. Who wouldn't? Like, it would take a kind of next level. Um, it was nothing. It was handbags. It was handbags anyway. Um, also, JJ wanted to mention the Sounders, uh, a nice win over the weekend. Very little trouble with uh, the LA galaxy. A couple stories here that came out of me, uh, came out of this for me, the Sounders, once again, they look like they're going to be a problem in the Western conference. In fact, I think five thirty-eight, the website now has the Sounders as their leading favorite to win MLS cup. Um, I think last week they were fourth. And then after this, they vaulted up to the top union or second. Mm. Um, and, and then the other one I wanted to mention was that it just, I don't know for Chicharito, it's just not, it's just not going according to plan right now. But I didn't see that going according to plan because you're, you're That's replacing you a player like, like, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic who did a bit of everything and could still link the play and could pull a goal out of nowhere with a guy who doesn't link the play particularly well. And if it's not happening in the box, it's not going to happen at all for him. I, I didn't see this working. I thought it would be a little bit better because I thought there was enough creativity in that Los Angeles Galaxy roster, but clearly not. Um, back to Seattle for a sec. There, two of their, their goals here were just, I thought they were beautiful goals. Once again, Jordan Morris on the left side, I mean, just the way he gets into space and the ball that he played in, I mean, he's now become an assist machine, which I don't know if that was something that was necessarily in his locker when Seattle first got him, but uh, the ball he plays in, slips it across the mouth of goal, tapped in. Like we said, not all assists are created equal. That's basically a Jordan Morris goal. It was beautiful. And then Morris scores the goal on what I guess I would say is a Nico Lodero goal with the assist that he played to Morris. I mean, 40 yard pass just like yeah. cuts the defense in half. Couldn't have been more perfect. They, they and, and they do this without Raul Rui Diaz, who was out for this game. They are, they are dangerous. There's going to be a couple questions asked of them in defense. Um, but right now with some of what they have in attack and Christian Roldan now, who's finding a new role for this club, proving what a versatile player he can be for them. Um, they are, they, they've been one of my favorites, and they are still looking uh, every bit that that team um, that could go on and, and win this thing once again. And then one other one that we had to mention here because this was something we talked about last week on the podcast. Um, I guess this is my nothing makes sense game of the week. San Jose, who we you spent time just like combing through their, their thrashings that they've taken lately. Somehow they go in, out and they beat LAFC on a last second goal. Jackson Yule, incredible scenes that it set off to it. I celebrated like they uh. just won MLS Cup, which I'm not knocking. You get it with the, the month that they've had. Uh, but man, what a win for them. Do you know, it was so interesting because the blueprint I laid out was they had to win or get a draw against Colorado midweek and then not get hammered by LAFC. And the absolute flip happened. They got destroyed by Colorado 5-1, and then they come out and do this against um, Los Angeles. Now, 
and my, Bob Bradley's face on the sideline when the, when the explosion, like the whole bench cleared when uh, when that goal went in for San Jose and they all ran down the line, which suggests to me that there is a unity in the side. Uh, there's also relief because you just don't want to keep taking beatings. Your morale goes through the floor. But it suggests to me that Almeida hasn't lost things, that maybe there is a unity in this side. Um, but Bob Bradley's face was priceless because LAFC did have chances to 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 put this beyond um, San Jose, and they just they didn't do it. I, it was it was I don't know. It was a special moment. It's one of the best moments of the season so far. It, it's terrible not having fans, especially at Los Angeles, uh, no thirty two fifty two. But that was that was an explosion of joy that I uh, I thought it was lovely. Yeah, I saw. Um, it's funny. Because like they did, they played fairly well in Orlando in the uh, MLS's back tournament. And Chase Salinas was speaking afterward, and he said, "We're the same team that everyone was talking about in Florida. We just have to believe in ourselves." And I think tonight you saw that. Um, you know, they were more cautious in defense, which you might ask yourself, "Where was that five games ago?" Um, right. But hey, I guess better late than never. And then they managed to nick the goal at the end. So yeah, you you felt good for them. Um, I know LAFC fans will disagree. Obviously, nobody wants it to be at their expense, but San Jose desperately needed something uh, something good to go their way in this this fifth yeah, bill. Yeah, and LAFC just sat there on six wins. It's it's not great right now. Uh, let's see a couple other stories here for you, JJ. Uh, Luis Suarez making, I guess his uh, well, it was an on again, then off again, and now officially on again move to Atletico Madrid. He made his debut, and it was a pretty impressive one coming off the bench. Yeah, very much so. He was involved. He looked lively, looked as energetic as he has in a while. And um, if you're going to get off to a good start and kind of banish the question marks that will linger about his age and his his ability to run, that's the way you do it. Um, I, I can't help but wonder, like, obviously, you know, there's there's pressure on Atletico Madrid. There's pressure on Suarez. But I feel like in this whole situation, the pressure of Suarez's performances are are kind of on Koeman. Like if Suarez goes to Atletico and lights it up and shows that he can still be an elite goal scorer and a, an elite playmaker for them, um, boy, and if Barcelona are to struggle, which did not happen over the weekend, but if they are and they have trouble scoring goals, ooh, I mean, Kuman couldn't wait to run him out of there. Um, yeah, and I mean, Messi spoke, I mean, Messi, Messi takes to Instagram was never a thing, but in the last 18 months, it's, it's, it's like it's like an uh, an edict from the Pope. Um, this is what he said: "You deserve to depart like what you are, one of the most important players in the club's history. Winning things as part of a group and individually, not for them to kick you out as they have done." But the truth is, nothing surprises me anymore. I mean, that I mean, was the parting message. Do you think that there's just like a colder, more kind of like awkward room to be in? than when Kuman is giving some kind of team talk. Because like if Messi, Messi clearly, it seems to me, has no time and no use for the guy. No, I don't think that's true, actually. I, I think he sees Kuman as an arm of something much worse. And I don't, I mean, there was nothing in Messi's performance at the weekend to suggest that he was going to act up on the manager. Not that, not that I could see, really. I mean, Ansu Fati was the star of the show, but at the same time, Messi was, you know, Messi did his job. It's Messi's hatred goes much, much deeper than whatever manager they have in at this moment. No, of course that's true. But if, if like you say, Kuman is an arm of that, then Messi will, and Messi will have the most exposure to this guy as opposed to any of the board. Should we get, should we get to the Champions League stages, the latter stages of the Champions League and see what shape Barcelona are in then? Those questions will then be answered. We can't, it's too early to tell yet. Yeah. Barcelona, they did win 4-0. Um, 
Messi scored on a penalty. Uh, like I said, Ansu Fati, two goals separated by what? Just like two and a half minutes or so. Yeah. Um, in the 15th and 17th minutes. This we, we are now entering, like he's been talked about now for about a year, a year and a half or so, where he's kind of like gotten on the scene. Maybe this is breakout time. Uh, he's still so young. I feel like it's almost unfair to say that, but if he, he's scoring two goals in the opener. Um, so who knows? Maybe this is the year where we where we do see – I'm not going to say the next Messi. That's irresponsible no, for people to say that. stuff like that. Um, but potentially the next Barcelona homegrown superstar. I mean, it's nearly a year since he made his debut, surely. Or it's at least 10 or 12 months. It's got to be. So, yeah. Um, and, and when we ask Graham Hunter about you know the post-Messi era – there isn't a plan, obviously. He's the greatest player that's ever pulled boots on, but there is some some young players of, of real hope, and um, Ansu Fadi is number one of in, in that list. Um, and then this one, JJ, in a season where we thought Bayern might make a run at going unbeaten, they get absolutely hammered by Hoffenheim. <laughs> now, what a big day it was for Kramerich. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't want to... I'm not diminishing. Hoffenheim went at them and went at them big time. And I don't want to diminish the the, the scoreline or anything, but some of the defending on the goals, like where, where Bayern are open. Remember we talked about in the latter stages of the Champions League, how they like to pre- push up and leave space in behind, and they're confident that they'll get back. Well, they didn't get back. And that was a large part of it. There was a, the, the third Hoffenheim goal was just a big, long ball, a flick on, and suddenly they're in behind. You know, that was... That was a, a goal that they'll look back in and think they could have done way better. But the goal of the game for me was, well, it wasn't actually the goal. It was the lead up to the penalty um, where Ilis uh, Bebu made this made this slaloming run on the break. Again, spacing behind. And he, he was like falling over twice and amazingly kept his balance and, and stayed on his feet and ran it in and was fouled by... Um, by and I'm blanking on the Bayern goal, Manuel Neuer. Good lord, he was fouled. He was fouled by Manuel Neuer, and and strangely, Neuer wasn't playing his usual high line where he'd be out to kind of stifle him. And um, yeah, Alfonso Davies couldn't get back in time. But the run, I want people to go back and watch that run. It's amazing. I thought he's gonna fa- he's fallen over. He, they're definitely going to get the ball off him, and they never did. And it ended up being four one. Um, before we get off our European roundup, Andrew, I wanted to uh, to talk to you about two things um, from Italy, a country near and dear to my heart. Uh, Juventus and Roma, that finished 2-2. But what came up in, in the course of the game was something we haven't really discussed, which was how people are going to treat Weston McKinney and perceive how he is going forward. And more so, you know, what's one of the variables we talk about? We talk about he has to play for it to be a success, obviously. And we talk about what's the other one? What's the other variable? You don't know. I don't know. Injuries, right? Oh, all right. But, there, but there's a third that we, we we didn't discuss at all. He's under a rookie manager. So he got the hook on 60 minutes against Roma in what was a 2-2 draw. And I thought it was interesting. Um, she's been a guest on our show, uh, Mina Rizuki. The Italian football ex- expert tweeted this out. Sorry, I'm not accepting all the crit- criticism of Weston McKinney, etc. You can't put out a formation like this, put this kid under all this pressure in the middle, and then criticize his passing slash overall game. Even Rabio can't cope. Thank God Arthur has come on. So that's just something we never talked about. Like McKinney is being utilized by a manager who is has zero experience of this level in Andrea Pirlo. So 
you know, sometimes when we see McKenney, God, he's come off after an hour. That's not good. They're trailing. Although they, they did end up um, tying the game yeah. with some brilliance from Ronaldo. We, we need to pull back just a little bit on that and, and, um, and realize that this is a manager who may not know how to use him properly yet. And the final thing from Italy that I wanted to talk about, Andrew, was did you see uh, the thriller uh, Inter 4, Fiorentina 3? I did uh, not, no. Tell unbelievable, me unbelievable game. And the star of the show was, uh, even in defeat, was 37-year-old Frank Ribery. And I looked, <laughs> I looked at the teams, Andrew, and I looked, at, I looked particularly at Inter. Um, Inter started the game with 1, 2, 3, 4, Four players, five players over the age of 30 and then brought on a 31, a 33 and a 32 year old, including uh, Nangalan and Arturo Vidal. And what we always talk about getting younger is better. In modern football, you have to get younger and you have to get good. But like Conte is going in the, the opposite direction. You know, he's got Ashley Young involved in the team. He's got, you know, you know, Handanovic is the goalkeeper is even 36. So I couldn't stop thinking about something like, imagine Ashley Young is walking down the road. It's a fall scene and he's kicking through the leaves, right? And then suddenly out of nowhere, you hear a voice and it's the voice of Tom Selleck. And it's Tom Selleck who's telling you, have you got an older player? A player that's coming towards the end of his days. A player that has one big move left in him. You want to look after that old player, don't you? And you want him to get paid. A lot of money still, even though he is well over 30. What you need is Serie A retirement community. No, it's not a retirement home. It's not somewhere you could call a nursing home. This is a retirement community. Serie A for the golden years where you still want to get paid ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, the SARC, as I refer to it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's interesting, though, because these players, like hearing you run off the list of those, a, a couple things come to mind. One, Inter, they better win the league. Like they're clearly going for it in a way that is undeniable, as they should. I mean, they, you know, they, they have a number of good players and they should be going for it. Um, but if it if they don't like if Juve still maintain their grip over the league um or if Napoli emerge or whoever um like if this doesn't work for Inter it has potential to fail spectacularly because not only will they have not won the league with the team that we feel has every chance to do so but what kind of sell on value are these players who are in their early and mid 30s going to have i mean like <laughs> nothing exactly they're not going to make any money from these guys when they're done so like it's it's kind of dangerous territory unless they've got a lot in the pipeline that they feel that they can sell those guys uh, to to make some money back. But it's sort of like if this doesn't work, they could enter kind of a, a dark period. But even the even guys like Lukaku's been excellent. But like look at Christian Eriksen, they didn't spend a ton of mo- a ton of money, but I'm sure his wages are through the roof. There, the guy's 27 or 28. He's 28, I think now. So you know, yeah. it's win now kind of. Absolutely. Not kind of. Uh, good stuff. Mailbag time. You got a good one here. Yeah, mail busy. Let's get to it. Um, first of all, it's caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, at COSoccerPod on the Twitter, ESPN. Come and follow us and, and interact with us and, and have fun. Um, w Guy Johnston sent this in, and I, I, I don't know if I have this on your mailbag, Andrew, but we need to mention mm-hmm. Liverpool and I, Arsenal. I have it here. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, you have. Um, love the pod, guys. I'm an Arsenal supporter, but I don't know if I can keep doing this. I also do not understand Graham Lassau talking about how there were no passengers today for Arsenal. I haven't seen Arsenal look that afraid, that unmotivated, that dull, that pathetic since the dying days of Emery. It's one thing to get beaten by Liverpool. It's another thing to ignore the fullbacks of Liverpool. I'm an out-of-work waiter, and I knew Robertson would make those runs. I knew that Van Dijk would send those switches to Salah. If this is the new Arsenal culture, I hope we keep the receipt. That is. To me, can can I say that's too strong? Like, uh, yes, and, and I think I would agree with you. And I hope also you bring up the the Roy Keane Jurgen Klopp confrontation. Yeah, that well, that was the thing that happened where where Jurgen Klopp basically said, um, or he heard Roy Keane right as they're about to throw to him. He heard Roy Keane say the word sloppy about Liverpool's performance. Now Liverpool gave up a couple of chances in the second half, but Roy Keane lives in a world of such absolutes that he doesn't even probably remember chances United gave up when he was a player. Teams give up chances, especially when they play the way they they do, which Jurgen Klopp pointed out to him. He just went after him, totally went after him. Super sensitive by Jurgen, but we know he can't be like that. Yes, and he addressed it. It, it really was. It really was super sensitive. He was like, I think Roy Keane and the panel, they kind of thought at first that maybe Klopp was kind of just like joking and was right. going to try to like mess with Roy Keane a little bit. Klopp was dead serious. He was not happy that the word sloppy was used in reference to the performance. And and overall, I, I agree with Klopp. The statistics, were, like Liverpool, they were pretty dominant in that oh, game. Yeah. However, if you, are, if you are paid to analyze Liverpool's performance – and on the heels of an uncharacteristic mistake that we saw from Virgil, Virgil van Dyke a couple weeks ago, um, and then Andy Robertson, who we look at as maybe one of the top three to four best fullbacks in the Premier League, makes the kind of mistake that he made in the first half that contributed directly to Lacazette's goal. Like, okay, Liverpool were still dominant, but you, like, you're not allowed to refer to that as a sloppy mistake? I mean, it's exactly what it was. But 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 I think the sloppiness, like the slight. If I was Klopp, I would have said Robbo's attempted at a clearance was sloppy. There's no question. But the fact that um, Lacazette had those chances, one of which was offside, where he got in behind, and Allison stayed big on the second one, which was a good save. Like, are, are we holding teams to a standard now, like Liverpool, that that no chances will ever happen? Like, is that what is, is that what we're doing? That, because that seems to be what Roy Keane is doing a little right. And and on the converse side of that, it's funny because now we're holding Liverpool to the standard that standard where they can't concede any chances, and like we're also to to respond back to the email that we got from W Guy Johnston, we're also holding teams I think to an unfair standard. However, when they play Liverpool, because this is not the first time. Look, Liverpool, this team is ridiculous. They're outstanding. They're unbelievably good. Um, and I'm not saying Arsenal couldn't have played better, but this is not the first time that Liverpool have made another quote-unquote good team look bad that this is what they do this is this is not just some good team this Liverpool this is like an all-time great team that we're witnessing right now Arteta said it look at Van Dyke. he gets you press Van Dyke, and then he plays a 60 yard ball over the top the press is gone and you're like they've beaten the press he's got it to Salah it's over like this is a well-oiled machine I will say this for Arsenal they came in they played four they tried to combat the Liverpool fullbacks as much as they can. And I saw much more of an effort than previous iterations of Arsenal coming into Anfield, like where it was open season. Wenger come in and play like three at the back and (laughs) there was acres of space. Yeah, was there acres last night? At at points there was, but it's way better than it was. It's way better. Also, I'm I'm at a point with Sadio Mane where if I'm on the other, I throw my hands up. I don't know how to defend the guy. 
He's he's unbelievable, and his first touch is scary good. I, I I'm I'm such a fan. I'm a fanboy. Sadio yeah. Mane. I, I I think people need to hold back on on the Arteta criticism. I think it's getting better. Um, uh, Diego Diogo Gianni, uh, can you guys finish your review of All or Nothing? Okay. So um, can I start I, here? You you do it because uh, I'm going to be very brief, and I am not. <laughs> Um, so I have it broken down into a couple categories here of basically what I didn't like and what I did like. First, I'll start with the things that I did not like about the the series. Um, this might be unfair if I went back and rewatched it, maybe I would feel differently, but, um, I felt that the, the pre Mourinho portion of it felt rushed to me. Um, so that, that was one thing. I also felt the, uh, the Tangi and Dombele saga was a bigger deal than how it was presented. Like, may, like they, they only spent probably about five to 10 minutes in the final. They waited all the way until the final episode before even addressing it. This was a thing for a lot of the season. Like that's the most, it, they spent a huge sum of money on the guy. He wasn't playing for huge stretches of the season. We were led to believe that Mourinho, he was giving press conferences where Josie sounded angry that he couldn't get fit. Like yeah. it felt like that was a storyline that probably could have been sprinkled in for a, a couple episodes. And then they could have gone all in like they did in the final episode rather than just waiting to the final one. And then, um, and this this is probably my biggest criticism, JJ. I felt that Amazon or the producers or whoever were very kind to Tottenham during the COVID portion of the show. Oh. And, and by that, I mean, like, remember Deli Alley's insensitive joke that he made right. um, in the airport? Remember the players and Mourinho not observing, social, not observing social distancing like Serge Aurier? Um, so I, I felt like those were things that probably – should have been mentioned in, in some way, shape or form, right. even just like an apology um, or something from some of these guys. Um, and then separate of that, remember when Delhi's uh, Delhi Alley's house was broken into and he was assaulted. Mm. Did that, I couldn't remember. Did that occur within the time frame of, of filming? I thought that it did. I can't remember, but maybe not. Cause that just seemed like kind of, that was, I don't know. That seemed like kind of an odd thing to omit. Um, so those are the things that I did not like. I'm, I'm pretty sure when you get, the access that they got, which was decent access, that there was agreements made. We're not going to talk about X or Y or yeah. X or Y is involved in ongoing whatever. We're not doing that. Otherwise, they wouldn't get it. Yeah. Um, I, it. Like for me, you know, the stuff that I thought about Mourinho was laid bare even more so, you know, about the negativity, the, you know, the the lack of any kind of anything other other than, you know, protect what you have the fear of 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 losing far outweighing the joy of winning things like that but but the thing that i saw that i can't get out of my head um now look there was things that i liked i, I liked seeing harry winks go to the old folks home i thought that was beautiful i thought that was really nice yeah um, i have a few things here but I'll, I'll wait for you to go yeah yeah no the, the overwhelming thing for me was you know just the negativity of Mourinho, like the the, the fear in his football um stuff that we talk about all the time in the podcast but something that I don't know. Did you notice? Is anyone talking about this? Jose ran a video on a loop in, in some kind of common room or space where the players would be training of every single goal they'd conceded up until that point in the season on a TV. And the Tottenham players turned it off. I remember oh, the scene, but I don't remember. Because I play a video in room so you could see when I, you're pulling on your 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 shorts or you're doing whatever and you, and you turn it off. 
any kind of con- there's a kind of a talk about the defense, but this as this is part of it. Like, what kind of sports like modern sports psychology is this? I I just of course whoever turned it off was dead right. That's that's remarkable stuff. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I didn't take anything new from it. Then I kind of already knew or suspected about this guy. <laughs> it's like one of the. Uh, it's unbelievable. You and I. It's not just you and I. I find that this is like how this is everybody. I guess with Mourinho, it's like uh, what I don't. Are those, I don't see what, are those, what you're seeing that I don't see. Or that I. What am I missing? I don't see. It. Anyway, give me your give me your other things because we could be here all day with this. Well, I was first off. I mean, you you taking a dump on the access that the show has where I, I can't disagree with you more um, in terms of the access. I thought Mourinho's meeting with Danny Rose was, was fascinating. I thought Daniel Levy's meeting with Tangy and, and Dembele was, was fascinating. That was good. Um, yeah. Eric was Dyer good. and Deli Alley, like kind of fighting in the locker room after, uh, after that, the terrible defeat. Um, so, and like on the topic of access, I actually, like obviously it wasn't ideal for this to happen during the pandemic, but I actually kind of felt like having a, a film crew embedded with a club as they try to navigate this moment um, could have probably been like a newsmaking documentary as a standalone project, but it's almost swallowed up in this because it was part of such a larger undertaking. But just like watching how that all played out, like Jose Mourinho just like sitting in the in the audience like a player as the doctors are up there explaining like all the new protocols and just like, you know, how the team is conducting these training sessions on this mass Zoom screen. Like I just I don't know. I just found all of that just interesting to see yeah, how I, they they worked through it. And it's such a shame they didn't talk about the manager taking them into a park to train in the middle um, of the pandemic. And then. Like you said, I mean, like we've said here, we'll disagree on this forever, but I came away from the show with with a different perception of Mourinho I, when I, I entered it. I found him to be way more positive of a force than anything that you're talking about, way more likable of a guy than anything I was expecting. And it was interesting to me to hear his team talks and then remember back to those games because it, it, it almost casts a new light on their performances for me because like he's repeatedly telling them to press like there's so many episodes where he's hammering home to press, and then that, I remember those games, and there's none of it. They're not right. Players that aren't is doing a, that it. is, to- and that Harry is Kane is sitting in the room, mystery. and the, and Harry Kane is sitting in the room, and he's he's kind of with Mourinho, and he's he's looking around, and he's saying, I don't know why, you know, we're we're not doing these things, and he's like clearly Harry Kane looks like he's annoyed at teammates as well. Right, um, right. I, I that is so that that's that baffles me. The amount of times he says press, and they never even came. Oh, no, they were never to it. they were never a pressing side. So. What, what, but then, but then Andrew, he says things like this. He goes, he he at halftime in the light or before the light pre Leipzig, he says he he sets out. He says this following thing: um, we will find ways to to f them. We will find ways to score on them. He says that. I'm like, okay, that's positive. And then he goes to lay out the team as two banks of four sitting deep, right? And, and the thing for me that. So you're know. not even going to mention the fact that that was when Harry Kane and Son had both gotten hurt, and Eric Lamella and Lucas Mora were her t- were his two strikers. Yeah, but, like, but what you, this is what I'm saying is like that's unfair. Yeah, but what, I, do, you, what do you want him to do? Leipzig are a better team than, him and he's just lost his two best players. Right, but so he had, he's, what's he Stick supposed to do? Stick with me, right? So, so you see that, and you think, okay, fair enough. And then you move on, and you and um, or it might have even happened before it or after it. I can't remember. He sat there in a team meeting extolling the virtues of Middlesbrough. I'm like, very powerful team. He goes through how how dangerous Middlesbrough are. I, how is that not an endearing 
quality though. Like you, you'd be sitting here saying if he did the opposite, you'd be going on and on about how arrogant he is. He is trying to instill in his team that no, you can't take any opponent for granted for Middlesbrough. This is their cup final. Like that's what he's trying to, he's uh, how I, I can't imagine somebody watching that and thinking that that's a, that's a, an awful thing to be telling your team. I don't get that. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I think you've been totally spun. I, I think you've been totally spun. Like, like he, he goes on. I have notes here. One of the quotes, pleasure of playing for the clean sheet, like this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I, is that weird? Like demanding clean sheets from your no, team? Andrew, like this is stuff I don't, I don't. These are things that I don't understand. Why these would be criticisms? Uh, these none of. But Andrew, this is all he focuses on. He focuses on how things can go wrong, how we will lose, what the opposition are going to do all the time. To the point where he's putting videos. Of every goal you concede, not every goal you score, every goal you concede for the entire season on a loop in a common area at the training center. This is madness. It's mental. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to move off Mourinho. Um, a couple other things that I liked about it, just as a fan of the team, um, I, I almost come away with it with relief because, like, like I think back to like you know on on being Liverpool, like the Brendan Rodgers painting. Like I didn't feel like there was anything that you could obviously make fun of Tottenham for. And when you go like in depth on a series like this, um, you know, that's you're opening yourself up to that. Where I other thought fans Mourinho was kind of you. Did you not feel that when Mourinho would sit and Levy would talk to him, that Mourinho kind of didn't want to be there? <laughs> nah, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I think that I was okay with that. Um, right. Like, I, I don't know. I generally came away from it, liking the players. And I feel like like that's the biggest criticism that Mourinho had had of his team is that you know you're too likable. If that's the worst thing about them as a fan, I can I can almost live with that. Like I like the acknowledgement of Jan Vertonghen at the end of his time there. I thought that was nice. Can I make um, a suggestion? Yeah. Can I make a suggestion where we bring in uh, an intermediary who who um, who will kind of no. No, because you have made suggestions to me off the show of people you want to have on, and they're all your Mourinho sycophants. So. I get Mourinho sycophants. All the people that agree with you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name names. Right. After the podcast, we'll talk about it. I but mean, if it's left up to you, I know exactly how you'll do. I this. think if there's anybody in any doubt about this guy, right? You've now, mentioned two names to me in the past few weeks of people you want to have on, and I've seen their tweets about Mourinho, and they're all the things that you say. I know how you work. You are shifty. You are <laughs> underhanded. Know. You're manipulative. Shifty. I know. I know you too well. I know you better than you know yourself. Right. Um, right. This isn't good. I'm. This isn't going to end well. And I'm not talking about me and you. I'm talking about Mourinho at Spurs. Okay. Well, that, that may very well be true. We said that from day one. It never Why? ends well with him. Um, it never it doesn't end well with him anywhere. So um, we know that. Peter James. I enjoyed you going off on Peacock last week and was wondering, since you started the podcast, what topic got you the biggest response, positive or negative? Uh, the Peacock thing is, is up there. Yeah. I would say. And by the way, it's it not one pretty, side or the other. Pretty evenly split in terms mm-hmm. of people that there were people who somebody was so mad at us for having the opinions that we had that they 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 stopped. They said, that's it. I'm done listening to this show. Yeah, I know. So, that was, that's the temper tantrum of the modern era. I'm done. Used to be a fan. Can't do it anymore. Walking away. OK, yeah. good luck. I mean, I know we have another one that we're going to get to in terms of things that have gotten reaction. This one is up there. 
I mean, I can't remember all the negative reaction things, but like positive reactions. I know the Maradona drop, uh, EPL back for more song, the rap battle. Um, I know those received, those received a lot of reaction. I can't remember all the negative ones. Remember uh, we got absolutely slaughtered for our interview with uh, Bruce Arena. <laughs> but it wasn't because it was only because we had him on the show. People didn't even want us given he was in such a dark place with the US fan base after they didn't qualify. People were mad that we even gave him airtime. We get, uh, we had so, him on was it that March or April after he had, a, he had a book out explaining like going through his career and explaining what happened with the with the defeat and I guess people just like weren't ready to hear it. I, I don't know. I think they wanted us we, to like By the way, I would it's one of those things I would do it again. Yeah, they wanted us to crucify him, and we weren't going to do that. I guess while uh, I know there's another one, JJ, about Peacock, uh, is it worth just do, getting to that one now? Do you want me to do that one now? Well, we may as well do them together, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Carlos M. First time listening to your podcast and came across your bit on the Peacock. I love Peacock so far. I am a cord cutter, though. Now that it's on Roku, I find it as good value, but could see why people paying 50 bucks for NBCSN access would be upset. I also love ESPN Plus, which gives me a lot more value for the money. I am a Villa fan, and as long as they're competitive, I plan on keeping Peacock. Carlos, by the way, first time listener, welcome aboard. I nice. hope you'll be with us for many years. Yeah, I mean, look, the value, the value is reasonable. Um, I know we said that there are people who who can't afford this, and I'm sure that's true. But like in the grand scheme of comparing this with other streaming services, it, it's definitely reasonable. Reasonable. I think our reaction last week was was as visceral as it was because for me at least, didn't you feel like JJ? There was like an element of surprise to it in the way that it was presented. Like the best matches behind a paywall, every time slot except one behind a paywall. Like I, I just felt like these were things that that we were not expecting. Like this was more of a gradual rollout. Um, and people could kind of ease into it. I think it might have been a different reaction. Um, yeah, but like I mean, so. But if you are going to roll it out this way, that's all fine and good. But then, like the availability of it, the execution of it of, of the product, it kind of needed to be at a level that I felt like it wasn't quite at yet. Right. Um, I, I think fundamentally, though, Andrew, we can sum it up as saying, as people who who work in soccer, that's not you know what I mean. Like we're in the we're in the industry. We don't want to limit the availability of watching games. We don't want to make it harder to see soccer in America. It's that simple. The problem is, I was thinking more about that. Soccer is in this place. I wonder if you agree with this. Soccer is in a place in America where it's just barely unpopular enough to be like an automatic over-the-air TV ratings grab sport. But it's just barely popular enough where it's worthwhile for these media companies to have it as a property and ask people to pay for it. You think it's in like, between? I, I think it's right. It's the only sport I feel like that is occupying this in-between space. And unfortunately, like every network has recognized that. ESPN has multiple leagues behind paywall. NBC just put the world's most popular league essentially behind a paywall. Like you know, the Champions League, much of that on CBS is going to be behind a paywall. It, the, a so if you are a soccer fan in America, you are getting screwed in a way that no other fan of any other sport in this country is getting. And it's because of this weird space that soccer occupies. And it's, I, I, it, I, I feel bad for us, for all of us, because soccer is the one sport that's getting killed with this. I disagree. I think the comp the major companies have seen how popular it is and have realized that it it has that ability to connect with people and that lots of people are suddenly getting involved with it. And it's a time when streaming networks need 
subscribers and need to suck people towards it and they're using soccer as that because it's popular i think yeah. it's a, a wildly uh, popular sport in this maybe country. that's I true I, I think it's completely underestimated the interest levels in in this sport and, and look I, I will be fair to peacock in that this past weekend was was much more reasonable with games that were over the air um on on nbcsn i know they still put liverpool arsenal on peacock but like we we know now like that is the expectation finally uh, nate hardy uh, last pod, you discussed world-class players. While watching the Leicester versus City game, I began to wonder if Jamie Vardy fit into that category. I would argue that he does, winning the Golden Boot last season as well as the league in 2015-2016. However, I never hear commentators or various other pundits talk about him at that level. Until the game this week when one of the commentators stated that only he and Lionel Messi has ever scored a hat-trick against Pep City, and now he's done it twice. I'm not certain, but could this lack of appreciation for a man of such talent and skill be due to his unconventional rags-to-riches origin to the top, to top-flight football? Big fan of the pod. Keep up the great work. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think part of it is he's... I mean, his record is outstanding. He is, in 214 Premier League games, he has 108 goals and 34 assists. I mean, that's absolutely outstanding. He doesn't play, first of all, even though Leicester won the league, he does not play for a big top six team. He is not an England international. There's no point saying he is or that he ever was for any extended period of time. Um, So he wouldn't, that kind of takes him out of view a little bit. He's only played in the Champions League in one season, which again, causes, causes a problem or makes people forget about him a little bit. And he was also a relatively late starter. He spent a lot of time of his early career in the National League and non-league. And, um, you know, his his rise was fairly meteoric after that. He's also, you know, he's in his 30s now. But I think he's I think he's an absolutely outstanding player. He's a brilliant player. World, will you say world-class? Um, I would, yeah. I'd say world-class, but world-class without the opportunities to play in the Champions League or play for England. But England, by his choice... Like he, 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 I don't know if he still would be, but he stepped away. Yeah, but Euro 2016, look how sparingly he was really used. I thought there was more they could have got out of him. Maybe the system didn't suit him either. Um, he stepped away, Andrew, because he wants to prolong this this career that he's having. We're, we're, um, yeah, I mean, relatively late starter. M- amazing story, really. Uh, there you go. That's about it. That's the pod. Ooh, that's, that's she lengthy. Yeah, uh, a lot of midweek stuff going on, so uh, keep your eyes open for that. There's Carabao Cup. There's uh, – is there – I'll have to double check. Oh, uh, there, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. I forgot. Real quick, uh, Gold Cup groups were announced. Um, USA has been paired with Canada. Um, so that is uh, – that could be an interesting top two um, for uh, for this summer. Yep. Um, and Mexico is in a group. The I think the most difficult other team in Mexico's group was Curacao, who we got a good look at um, against the U.S. and who is not to be taken lightly. No, they have pedigree amongst their players for sure. Um, top flight pedigree in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's Carabao Cup, the competition that feels really unnecessary right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, it has the logjam of the schedule. Is, oh, is I mean, really? I mean, for something. once I have sympathy with Jose Mourinho. It's something. Um, well, hey, this was uh, this was fun, man. We will be back again, of course, next week, looking at uh, all the action that has gone on. I love it. I love it. Hey, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.